Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Hallelujah. Lord, we come together today to lift our voices unto you. To declare your glory and your greatness. Hallelujah. To magnify the name of Jesus. To shout your name into this atmosphere. The only name whereby we can be saved. Hallelujah. The name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We worship the name of Jesus. All that is in the earth is His. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many of you believe that? All of it is the Lord's. Everything on this earth. Amen. Wednesday night we were talking about the prayer that the Lord told the disciples to pray. He started out our Father, which indicated that we have relationship with God, that He's not just some force out there beyond the Milky Way, but that we are in relationship with Him. But then he said, our Father which art in heaven. And when he said that, he was saying to his disciples, when you pray, recognize that your heavenly Father has all power and all authority over everything on this earth. It wasn't so much that it was a geographical location, but if our Father is in heaven, and heaven is his throne, and earth is his footstool, then ladies and gentlemen, He's in charge of everything on this earth, everything in your life, everything in your family, in your home, on your job. It's all the Lord's. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. And I feel his presence here today. We're so glad that you have joined us. I turn your attention, first of all, to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 8. I'd like to read in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 8, and then we'll turn to the New Testament and look at Luke chapter 15. Beginning in the Old Testament, one verse of Scripture in your hearing that references the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 8, and the swine, because it divideth the hoof, yet cheweth not the cud, it is unclean unto you. Ye shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their dead carcass. Of course, you know cows, how they chew the cud and cleanses it, and so the food that they eat is more um, digestible. But the Old Testament law was instructing the Jews that they were not to eat uh, the swine, pigs, because they had a divided hoof and cheweth not the cud. It was unclean for them. Of course, they didn't have the way of processing food like we do now. And so this Old Testament law was established for the Jews going all the way back to when they came out of Egypt. Not to even eat of their flesh, nor to even touch their dead carcass. Now, if you'll look over in the book of Luke chapter 15, let's begin our reading in verse 14. Luke chapter 15 and verse 14. This referring to the story that we have uh, talked to you about over the last few months, commonly referred to as the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15 and verse 14, and when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. In other words, this young man, this boy, I say boy, he was, I'm sure, of a college and career age. He uh, was in a land living riotously, and he had spent all of his money, and now the land was in a famine, and the only job he could get was feeding swine, and he was so hungry that he would literally fight with the pigs for the hus that was left over when they would eat the corn, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. He, he couldn't even get a handout. He was fighting the pigs for the food, and there was no welfare plan, and he was literally starving to death. Verse 17, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. And will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I've, I think that it's interesting, and I want to try to bring this out to you this morning. 
the few minutes that I have with you, that going all the way back to the Old Testament law where it was de decided and it was decreed that they were not to touch this swine, that this young man, even in his desperate situation, would not kill that pig and eat it because of perhaps something that had been taught to him at a young age. He was a Jewish boy. He knew the law. He'd been to the synagogues. And as desperate as he was, he would fight for the pig's food, but he would not kill the pig and eat it, though it would have satisfied his hunger. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, the line in the mud. The line in the mud. Would you bow your heads and pray? Lord, we're thankful for your word. Thankful for your spirit that we feel here today in such a powerful way. I'm thankful, Lord, for men and women whose hearts are sensitive to you. They've made a sacrifice to come and be in your house today. Now, Lord, I ask you that as the word goes forth, that it would fall on good ground, that we would have open minds and open hearts to say, Lord, whatever your will is for me, I submit myself, God, to your word and to your spirit. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. At 24 years old, Walt Disney had Oswaldo the Rabbit, his first successful cartoon character, stolen from him by Universal Studios. At 25 years old, MGM told Walt Disney no one would ever like Mickey Mouse. At one point in his 20s, Disney was so poor that he resorted to eating dog food. But he refused to sell his dream. What is it that causes a person to dig in? Even on the side of a cliff. Even in the midst of a mess. And make a determination to turn their life around. This young man that we read about in scripture was no doubt out of the will of God. He had taken his inheritance. And spent it all on wild living. He was broke, busted, and disgusted. He had turned his back on God and his family. He had left those that cared the most about him. His loved ones. He thought it was going to be a big party, but it was much different. There were times that perhaps he would catch himself thinking about home and the way things used to be. But then his pride would kick in and... And he would quickly busy himself with something else. He had done things that he never thought he would do. He used to be ashamed of his actions. But now he had just gotten so used to the sin that it, it seemed second nature to him. Now he was fighting with pigs to get their food. He was so hungry. The pain of hunger was constant. It gnawed on him every night when he went to bed, every morning that he got up. He just never could satisfy that hunger, that pain of his stomach of trying to get enough food. He wondered how he had got to this point. He'd been raised a good Jewish boy. He knew the law. He'd been to the synagogue numerous times. He knew the right way to live. He thought about that as he looked perhaps one day at that pig. If he could just kill the pig, he would have plenty to eat. The pain in his stomach would stop. The sleepless nights of relentless hunger would cease. But somehow, someway, though he was not right with God, though he made numerous mistakes, somehow it was never an option for him. That in spite of all that he had done, in spite of all the mistakes that he had made, this young man drew a line in the mud and said, no matter how bad I've gotten, I will not go against the law that was taught to me as a young boy. In the midst of the filth, in the middle of all the mistakes, there was a marker put down. I may have done a lot of bad things, but it stops here. Can I stop today and just say to you that you've never wasted one moment that you got up and perhaps even had to fight with your kids 
to get them ready for church. It seems like you get them all ready, put them in their best clothes, and they go and jump in a mud puddle. It seems like everything goes wrong on a Sunday morning when you're trying to get out of the house. Someone said, whoever wrote that song, Easy Like Sunday Morning, never had young children that they were trying to get to church. <laughs> I ought to be able to get a witness somewhere in here. But you bring them to church anyhow. Especially in those formative years. And they learn about the Word of God. And they're over there in the Life Center right now. And teachers have come early and prepared their rooms and their, and their lessons so that it would be on their level. I've come to tell you today, you never wasted one moment. You never wasted one day that you brought your children to a house of God. And you said, but pastor, they're not living right right now. That's all right. They may not be where they need to be. But there was something put in them. At a young age that you don't ever get away from. I talked to a young man recently that was raised in church. He told me, he said, he was wanting my advice on some things. And he said, I never realized I got away from church. It seemed like I fought everything that had to do with church, the Word of God, things we weren't supposed to do. I challenged every boundary. I didn't understand that. I wanted to do this. I thought I could do it and handle it. But he said, it's taken me 20 years to realize how conservative I am. I said, yeah, in what way? He said, I hear people talk now. I hear people discuss what's going on in the culture, what's happening in the political realm. And he said, I find myself going back and taking the conservative argument. I always thought I was progressive. I always thought I was liberal. I always thought I was a renegade. I always thought I was some sort of a rebel that was pushing the edge of the envelope. But he said, now here I am 20 years later and I can't get away from what was put in me as a young boy in Sunday school. I'm trying to tell you they may not be where they need to be but even in the mud you can draw a line even in the midst of your mess you'll put down a marker and say I'm not going to go there I know the right way to live I will not go against the teaching of my youth as hungry as I am I will not kill and eat these pigs it was when this decision was made that he came to himself and started thinking clearly again. It was at this point that he said, I will arise and go to my father's house. Now, I want to preach to somebody in this audience today. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you have made. It doesn't matter what mess you're in right now. You can draw a line right where you are. You don't have to wait till you get all your ducks in a row. You don't have to wait till you get all cleaned up. You don't wait until everything is making sense. Right in the mess. Right in the mud. Right in the crisis. Right in the chaos. You can draw a line and say enough is enough. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. Things are going to start to change. I believe that inside of every person there is something that causes us to reach back and to find something that we can get a hold of. May have been something that was taught to you in Sunday school. May have been a grandparent or a parent that was a praying person. May be the Spirit of God drawing us. I can't tell you the number of times I run into people that used to be in a Pentecostal church somewhere in the Midwest or somewhere down in Texas or Louisiana or Mississippi and they moved to Florida and when they moved to Florida they got into easy living and they got for a few years but after a while something just started working on them I say well how long ago did you move here about three years ago I can't tell you the number of people I've met in the last six months that have said we used to go to an apostolic church but this happened or that happened or we moved or this problem or this crisis but now we got to get back where we know we need to be oh I've come to preach to somebody it's not too late you say but I got pigs all around me I'm in the midst of a problem I got a crisis I've got all kinds of things going on around me but even in the middle of all a mess I can draw a line and say wait a second I may not be doing right but I know what is right thank God for that thank God you got a mind that can 
told this story before, but I just felt it to tell it to you again because it's so important as it relates to what we're talking about this morning. A number of years ago, I was on an airplane trying to fly up north, and we were on a Delta L-1011 jet, and we sat on the runway in Orlando for about an hour waiting for a storm to pass, an enormous front that had settled in around the Jacksonville area. And as we waited and waited, pilot kept saying, we think we can go and then it would be delayed and then we think we can go and it would be delayed. And finally, he said, we're going to go, we're going to take off. We had sat on the tarmac for over two hours now. And he said, uh, we're going to try to go through this storm. It's too big, it's too wide, it's too tall, we can't go around it. But we're going to try to go through it. You never like to hear pilots say, use the word Try. That's not a good word when you're on a commercial airline. And then he said this to add insult to injury. We're going to be the first plane to go through it. So we were all excited about this trip. We got up there in that storm and that plane started being thrown around like a ping pong ball. And I was sitting on a window right there where the wing is and it was a lightning storm and thunder and Everybody was hanging on to the armrest. There was no free peanuts, no drinks. Nobody was moving around. There was a lot of praying, though, going on on that airplane. Oxygen masks had dropped down at the top, and we were all hanging on for dear life. And somewhere in the middle of this storm, a bolt of lightning came down and hit the engine on the left side of the airplane or hit the, the cowling, the covering portion of the, those Rolls-Royce engines that stick out from under the wings and those L- Lockheed L-1011 jets. And... and uh, And when it hit, I was sitting right there, I saw it hit. When it hit, the lightning bolt hit the plane and the thunder and the boom all happened simultaneously. And it was, and the plane rolled to the left. Now you've heard people say, if you want to know how far lightning is from you, when the flash happens, count one, two three have you ever heard people say that and then when it thunders then you'll know that's how many miles away lightning is i've never liked that test because what if it's all right there on top of you and you're like lightning one thunder boom oh sorry you didn't have any time it was right on you because when it's right there it's all simultaneous and that's what happened on this planet so it hit and it bam and it and the plane shook and rattled and rolled to the left and when it did there was a large man from Jamaica sitting in front of me and when this happened and I'm not exaggerating this story one iota when that happened we all knew we were dead and either going to heaven or hell at that moment when that happened this man got out in the aisle on his knees in his thousand dollar suit and got on the his knees in the aisle and threw his hands in the air and said, Jesus, don't fail me now. (laughs) I leaned forward and I said, are you a Christian? He said, I am now. I said, come up here and sit next to me. He had turned as wide as I am. <laughs> he came over there and sat next to me. And the pilot came on the intercom and said, if you've never been in a plane that's been struck by lightning, you can now say you have been. There's no damage to the airplane. We will soon be through the storm. Sit back and enjoy the flight. Nobody is enjoying this. We're all just... The plane leveled down. We dropped down. We were able to climb back up. And, and after a while, it did level out. The pilot or the co-pilot, one of them come back and looked and saw where, where the, 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 the cowling had been scarred by the lightning bolt. But it, it hadn't gone in the turbines and taken the engine out. But it had hit the covering and all. So we showed them, you know, where it hit and all that. And said, well, we were fortunate it didn't hit in the turbines, you know. And I said, yes, thank the Lord. We, we still have the both engines. 
This man is still sitting next to me. He, he hasn't said a word. And a pilot or co-pilot, whoever he was, goes back up to there. And he looked official. He had a, a jacket and a hat and everything on. He went back up to the front of the plane. And I started a conversation with this man. And at first, he didn't say anything. He just sat there. I think he was doing a whole bunch of praying. But after a little bit, I said to him, So, um, you live in Atlanta? He went. I said, were you, were you born in Atlanta? He said, no, I was born in Jamaica. And I said, really? I said, what, what part of Jamaica? And he said, in the Kingston area. And I said, I know a bunch of Pentecostals from down there in that area. He said, he looked at me and his eyes got real wide. He said, that's what I used to be. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I was raised in a, and then he said this, an apostolic church in Jamaica. Well, he said apostolic. I got real excited. And I said, apostolic church. He said, yeah, an apostolic Pentecostal church. And I said, was the pastor's name Sammy Stewart? He said, that's him. I said, I pastor a church in Florida. We've got people in our church that are from that church. He said, you're kidding me. I said, no. He said, the Lord must have put you on this airplane. He said, as a boy, my mother took me and my siblings to church. We would walk to get to that church. We went every Sunday faithfully. He said, my mother got us ready. She cleaned us up, put us in suits. We walked to that church every Sunday, every Sunday. And he said, I was raised knowing about the power of the name of Jesus. I was raised knowing the right way to live. But when I got to be a teenager, I wanted to do my own thing. And I found a girl to date that wasn't in the church. And, and I started pursuing money. And I got married and came to America and live in Atlanta. I live in a big house. I got a six-figure income. He said, I've got kids. My life is good. But when I thought I was dying, he said, the only thing I could think of was not my house in Atlanta, not my job or my income. The only thing I could think of was a Sunday school teacher that used to tell us, if you ever get in trouble, you can call on the name of Jesus. Well, I wish I had a church to preach to today. That no matter where you are, you can call on the name of Jesus. Whoa, hallelujah. There's something about having that in you. I'm going to tell you what, I feel so blessed. There was a time in my life when I used to resent that my dad was a pastor. I used to resent that every time I'd get up and go to school, going to Old Galley High School, driving my own car, feeling like I was big and bad at 16 years old. I used to hate it. I'd go by my parents' room and I'd hear my mom praying for me. Lord, keep your hand on my son. I can tell you, I've lived long enough now to say how thankful I am that a dad that kept praying for me even when I got in a mess even when I was in a bunch of chaos I'm glad I had some boundaries in my life I'm glad there was somewhere where I could draw a line and said I'm not doing it right yet but I know better than to go there thank God for somebody that drew a line in the mud and said enough is enough this man told me, he said, Preacher, when I get to Atlanta, he said, I'm going back to a Pentecostal church. He said, it's taken this airplane trip for me to realize that all this stuff I've been pursuing doesn't mean anything. Because when you die, you can't take none of it with you. He said, when I, when I thought I was dying, nothing mattered except Jesus have mercy on me. Woo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! 
Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. I've come to tell somebody, the enemy wants you to think you've done too much. You've gone too far. But I've come to tell you, there's still a place where you can draw a line in the mud. There's still a God that's reaching for you. There's still a God that loves you. There's still a God that waits for you. And there's a voice inside of each of us. Sometimes it's just a still, small voice. But it's a voice that calls us to draw the line. To stop the slide. To turn it around. I've come to tell you today, it's not too late. There's the Spirit of God that draws us and calls us. And each of us, in our humanity, even though we may not be where we need to be right now, Each of us has the ability to find an anchor in the midst of a storm. To find something that gives us the wherewithal to stop the madness. And to say, I know better. It's true that sin takes us further than we ever thought we'd go. Keeps us longer than we'd ever thought we'd stay. Ladies and gentlemen, in the end, sin has a shelf life. But I've come to tell you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Because while sin has a shelf life, the Spirit of God does not have a shelf life. Even when this body is dead and gone, even when this carcass is dried up and wilted away and buried in the ground, there's still a spirit that's going to resurrect. I've come to tell you about a God that will never give up on you. I have this black Labrador retriever dog named Liberty seems paradoxical that she's named this when I tell you this story she's four years old but we got her when she was just a puppy for my three children at Christmas time and then she was just a puppy and we had to somehow figure out how to keep her in the yard because homeowners association doesn't allow us to put up a fence not really friendly toward people even having dogs but my wife had read an article somewhere that children are more emotionally healthy if they're raised with a dog so we got a dog (laughs) a little liberty was just a little bitty thing When the folks from Indivisible Fence Company came out. And they said, where do you want her boundaries to be? And we said, go around here and around there and around here and around there. And they dug a trench and put an electrical wire down. And then they put white flags around. They said, now the flags are there. And after one week, you remove every other flag. And then after two weeks, because she's going to wear a collar that's going to remind her... When she gets close to the line, there are consequences. And those flags are visible reminders. But the trainer said, at some point, I think three weeks out, you don't need the flags anymore. You don't need the visible reminders anymore. She will know where the line is. Sure enough, all the flags were gone. Liberty learned where the line was. I didn't know where the line was because everything became mud in the backyard. But Liberty knew where the line was. And now that she's four years old, you can put hamburgers from Wendy's on the other side of the line and she won't even sniff at them. There's no flags up. There's no visible reminder. But now that she's four years old, 
which I guess in dog years is 28, humans are 7 to 1 and so forth. She's old enough, but at that young age it was put in her. I'm telling you what, folks, it amazes me. We can go out of town for a week and she won't leave that backyard. Won't even get close. Don't even have to have the collar on. She's got it in her brain. This is where the line in the mud is. And there are consequences if I go over the line. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you that when you learn the principles of God's Word, even when there's nobody making you, even when there's no visible reminders inherent in your spirit is a marker. It doesn't matter even though maybe you haven't gone to church in a while. It doesn't matter that maybe you're not being faithful like you should be. Can I remind you today that there's still a line. And you know it because you find yourself sometimes in this world trying to fit in, but you just don't fit in. You still are like one of them shopping carts that's got one wheel that wobbles. You look like all the other shopping carts. You got four wheels on the bottom like all the other shopping carts. But when you try to go down that aisle, you just don't fit in. You're trying to look like the world. You're trying to be like the world. You're trying to smell like the world. You're trying to think like the world. But you got a wheel that keeps wobbling. Can I tell you what it is? You can't ever get away from the book. Ah, oh, for the Holy Ghost. You can't ever get away from the Bible. You can't ever get away from Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one. You may be in the mud, but there's a line in the mud. There's a marker in the mess. And even today you feel that pulling at you, tugging at you. Some part of our inner conscience. Some still small voice that says, don't do that. Don't go there. That's too far. Why don't you go to church this morning? Maybe that still small voice called you here this morning. The Bible tells us in Luke 8, Jesus and his disciples being on a boat in a storm... Jesus calmed the waters and he spoke to the storm and he rebuked the winds and all of nature obeyed his voice. Then the Bible says that he and his disciples in that little boat in the Sea of Galilee, they landed on the north coast of the Galilee area in a place called Gadaria. As soon as their boat hit the shoreline, a man came running down from the hills yelling, Screaming, naked, long hair, wild, look in his eye. That was way out there. Bible says that he was filled with many devils. Devils had been in him a long time. They'd taken over his mind. He ran around naked. He lived in the cemetery. The Bible said he lived among the tombs. At night, the town folks could hear him screaming, shouting from the tombs. Family was no doubt embarrassed. As kids that went to school were ridiculed every day because their friends knew who their father was. The wild man lives in the cemetery. They tried to get the town barber out there to give him a haircut, but the barber said, I'm not going out there unless you chain him up. So they caught him and they chained him up, but... Bible says he would just break the chains and the fetters and would run into the wilderness. No doubt that what the enemy does to people when he gets control of their mind is to drive them absolutely wild. Where you lose all of your moral compass. You can't even hardly function anymore because... Your mind is so confused. Well, when Jesus and his disciples landed in Gadaria, this man is the first to greet them. That's some kind of a welcome committee. 
Luke 8 says that the man saw Jesus and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Good God Almighty. A line in the mud. A marker in the mess. And whenever he opened his mouth, the spirits that were within him, unclean spirits, spoke out and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Thou Son of God, the Most High, are you come to torment me? Jesus looked at the man and spoke to the spirits and said, What is your name? And they said, Legion, for we are many. Then they begged Jesus not to cast them out into the deep. It's interesting because they knew that they were going to be cast out. They didn't even ask. They didn't try to negotiate with Jesus about whether or not they could remain in the man. They skipped that part because they knew that was inevitable. All they started negotiating for was where they were going to end up. I'm going to tell you something. Even though you don't see it right now, the enemy already knows that his grip on you is slipping. Because he tried to fight you from even coming to church today. You made it here anyhow. He tried to discourage you and said you made too many mistakes this week. If you go down to that church and raise your hand, you're going to be a hypocrite. But you ignored it and you came anyhow. So hell's already having a prayer meeting. Hoping that they can turn you around. And in just a few moments, take you back out of this building without you feeling the power and the presence of God. But they're fighting a losing battle. Because there's something about a human spirit when it comes in contact with a Holy Spirit. It's almost automatic. They knew it when the man went down and fell down before Jesus. They knew their days were limited. Their moments were just a few. And they would have to leave this vessel that had chosen to worship God. Even though you may be in the middle of a mess right now, my friend. If you can just worship God and say, Jesus, thou art great and greatly to be praised. Everything that's bound you up, everything that's tried to keep a hold on you, all the mess, all of the chaos, all of the mistakes start to dissipate under the hot glow of the presence of God. And a man or a woman that will worship Him in spite of everything going on around them, draw a line in the mud and say, I was created to worship God and I'm going to worship Him today. Good God Almighty, I feel faith rising in this house. They begged Jesus, don't cast us out into the deep. Verse 32, and there was there and herd of many swine feeding on the mountain. And they besought him, this referring to the devils, that he would suffer them to enter into them. Referring to the pigs. Devils will go anywhere. You ought not to feel complimented. Because evil spirits have visited you. They will go anywhere. They say, we'll live in pigs. Because now watch this. It's important to get this. Because while we can draw a line in the mud, an unclean spirit can't. So not far from where this wild devil-possessed man was living was a herd of swine. That was an illegal operation going on. They were raising the swine back there behind the cemetery. Black market. But I love what I recently saw that I've never seen before. And that is that this man could have lived amongst the pigs. But he didn't. He chose to dwell in the cemetery. Rather than to live with the swine. Even in his wild, devil-possessed state of mind, he drew a line in the mud and said, I won't live with the pigs.
I'll stay in the cemetery. I'll live among the tombs. Yeah, there's no life here. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. But guess what? It's not the swine. I can draw a line right here. Though he was full of the devil, though he couldn't keep any clothes on his back, though he had superhuman strength to break chains and feathers, though his mind and his body had been overtaken with unclean spirits, even this man drew a line in the mud. And now the devil's they were fine with going into the swine. In fact, they requested to go and live there. The Lord said, fine, because God can accomplish two things at one time. He delivered the man and destroyed the sin of the community all in the same act. That's how God is. God can not only save you, but he can save you and destroy the impact of unclean spirits upon your family and your home all in the same time. Say, Pastor, I've just made too many mistakes. I don't know how to get there. All you got to do is find the line in the mud, put a marker down today, and say, Though I'm not where I need to be, I can worship God. I can bow down before God. When something like that happens, that's when you come to yourself. That's when you say, I'm going to go to my father's house. That's when you find that there is a boundary. You didn't even know that it was there. You had forgotten about it. But now, you're able to say, I know I'm not where I need to be. I know I've got some things I've got to get right. I'm not perfect. I'm not doing right. But I'm not going to the swine. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what all this comes down to. It all comes down to identity. Their identity as a Jew refused the cohabitation with swine. The devils did not have that identity, so they didn't care. They'd live in the swine. But even the swine couldn't handle the devils. They all went and ran off a cliff into the sea, squealing all the way down. Folks, even pigs won't live with devils. You ought not to either. You ought to go through your house and plead the blood of Jesus over every room. You ought not to let all this horror Halloween stuff come up over your television and come up in your house in the next couple of weeks. You ought to shut it down, turn it off, pull the plug. You ought not to let a spirit... Don't say, oh, well, that's just the culture. No, that's where enemy likes to try to get a foothold, even in a Christian family, even in a Christian home. Pull the plug, take a sledgehammer to the front of the thing. Whatever you've got to do, turn it off, get rid of it. But don't let anything come up into your house. Draw a line. You say, I don't know if my wife will let me. I don't know if my husband will let me. I don't know if my kids. Draw a line in the mud. This is it. This is as far as I'm going. I believe God's calling up a a bride. I believe God's calling a people of his name to draw a line in the mud. We're living in a world that's getting further and further away from God. But ladies and gentlemen, it hadn't happened overnight. This has been going on since the 60s when we said we're going to take prayer out of school. I'm going to tell you something. It's been going on a long time. But you're sitting among a bunch of people that made a commitment a week ago Wednesday and said we're going to be praying for the next 40 days. We're going to make a commitment at least 15 minutes a day, at least 30 minutes a day, at least an hour a day. We're going to pray. We can pray. We can pray. God's called us to be a praying people. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves, Come on, come on, righteous, Holy Ghost-filled people. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus. You've been buried in His name. You've been sanctified by His Spirit. You can make a peel unto heaven. You can draw a line in the mud. And you can say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Stand to your feet this morning. Identity. That's the question I want you to ask today is, what is your identity because if your identity is that I am a child of God there's some lines that go with that identity just like these men that were not where they needed to be but yet they knew they were a Jew they knew what was wrong 
And there were some lines that they wouldn't go past. Ladies and gentlemen, there's some things that are just a part of our DNA of who we are. We can't ever get over it. I'm not ever going to be comfortable with people cursing the name of Jesus. I'm not ever going to be comfortable with it. I don't care how you couch it. I don't care how many times you say it. I'm not ever going to be comfortable with it. It's just a line in the mud. I'm not going to ever be comfortable with a lifestyle that's contrary to the Word of God. I'm here to say I believe God's got a better plan for you. You say, but old pastor, I'm in the midst of a mess. I know, but you can draw a line in the mud. And you can say, I'm not going any further. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go to my father's house. Oh, come on. I feel his boat kind of just brushing up on the shore of my soul. I can feel God getting closer to me. I can feel his spirit. Why don't you run to him and worship? Why don't you say, I'm putting everything else aside. And I'm going to the one that I know created me. He made me in His image. He breathed the breath of life in me. He robed Himself in flesh. He went to Calvary. He shed His blood so that I could have forgiveness of sin. And this heavy weight of sin could be lifted off of my shoulders. Oh, my friend, you can't do it on your own. you got to come to a God that loves you. Oh, this is beautiful. People are coming from all over the building. Why don't you join them today? Why don't you step out from where you're standing? Why don't you come and stand down at this altar? Let this short walk to this front be a... Let it be a marker. Let it be a line in the mud. Let it be a step that will resonate throughout the entire spirit world. I identify with Christ. I identify with Christ. I am His child. I'm not my own. Come on, I've been bought with a price. He's reaching for you right now. He loves you. He's calling you. Come on, God's got something better for you. God's got something greater for you. My identity is not with the enemy of my soul. That's it, come on. Come on, just walk down to this front. Lift your hands up and say, Lord, I worship you.